Hi, and welcome to the Scrum Master Careers podcast, where you can learn from real Scrum Masters how to start, advance, or change your career as a Scrum Master. My name is Simon, and I'm a freelance Scrum Master. My mission is to support you to become a more impactful Scrum Master in less time. Check out www.scrummastercareers.com to get even more tips and tricks for a bigger impact on your team. This episode is sponsored by Read It For Me. Read It For Me is a book summary service for busy leaders that features the most important books in the area of leadership and self-development. I have used Read It For Me for over four years now, and I found it very, very practical. I use it for inspiration, to get up to speed with the latest books on team building and self-development, and I also use it for the teams that I work with. All in all, it's a very practical tool for me as a Scrum Master. As a listener of this podcast, you get a special discount when you go to www.readitfor.me slash Simon and sign up for one of their membership offers. Again, that is www.readitfor.me slash Simon. Now, let's start the show. Welcome to the show, Mike Schiedemann today from Agility in Real Life. We'll talk about that later, why in real life and what the difference is to others. We started already um, and I think we'll have a very nice episode today. Just some quick facts here about Mike. He had more or less 10 roles in his uh, work experience so far uh, that I was able to count on LinkedIn. <laughs> Worked for seven companies. He founded one company and he co-founded another company. And he holds six certifications, um, all Scrum related or project management, really project management, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone has a dark side, Simon. Everyone has a dark side. Sure. I'm actually, I was a PMI as well. Uh, sorry, a PMP certified sure. by PMI. Sure. Um, yeah, but I stopped paying the money because, yeah, I didn't use it at all. So, quick introduction about you. Um, you started as a um, systems person, right? Mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm, absolutely. in the 90s. And then became more and more technical, then more managerial, and then you became a trainer. That's what I understood so far. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, well, first of all, before I go into my background, thanks for having me um, uh, as, a, as we talk, as we're getting to know each other a little bit. Uh, being a lifelong learner is a key attribute, uh, I think, of, of anyone in, in the modern knowledge working space, and it's particularly important for us as Agilists. So, you know, kudos for uh, uh, having the podcast is a way for people to build uh, build their skill sets. But yeah, I, I started out um, as a systems analyst doing systems integration work. Um, I like to say that my systems integration role was kind of career development on steroids. I got exposed to a number of different clients, a number of different um, uh, business domains, uh, then I became a developer because I believe that at some point, if you're going to work in product development, it's particularly in the software space, you have to know, you know, how to write code at some level. Um, so I was blessed to be able to do that. Um, for those of your listeners that ever have to support my code, I apologize. I was, <laughs> it was not my, uh, not my strength. Uh, but well, then let me quickly I, um, jump in here. Yeah, um, please. I I saw that you um, studied actually business and finance, right? You never. I did. All right. I did. Yeah, uh, you know, got my undergrad uh, from Gustavus Adolphus College in uh, Southwestern Minnesota, USA. 
um, undergrads in management, international management and Japanese. Um, and then when I graduated from college, uh, you know, I said, well, what's another kind of fundamental skill set that I could kind of put in my toolbox? And that was really in the software IT space, which led, led me to that systems integration work. And then a few years after that, I went back and uh, got a graduate degree in strategy and finance. So, um, you know, I have a number of different uh, uh, roles that I can play. One of the reasons I like working in the agile space, it allows me to kind of tap into all of those uh, different tools uh, based upon the situation. Mm -hmm. Seems like you have a very well-rounded uh, profile, meanwhile. You yeah, I mean, I think it, it gives me the opportunity also to speak to some different constituencies and working as an Agilist, right? I can, uh, I like to tell people I, I've never worked in finance, but I speak their language. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that can sometimes help when talking about things like return on investment for a particular product development effort or how to establish a hurdle rate, those types of things. No, no, fair point. Now, something that I think is very interesting for our listeners is... Um, your journey from a business student mm -hmm. to a developer to a agile trainer. I think you became certified in Scrum in 2008, so pretty early Correct. on. Correct. And now you're a trainer and you have your own company. Um, and sure. given that, that the podcast is really all about Scrum Master careers, everything along that journey is super interesting. And of course, the why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me, you know, feel free to ask questions along the way. But as I said, you know, I started out, you know, as an analyst and then recognized that I needed to get some, some experience with hands-on coding. And one of the things that I really noticed in being a developer is that this is a very, very hard game that we make look very easy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, users would say, well, can we have a button there? And prior to cutting code, I'd be like, yeah, you just move the button over there and away we go. Exactly. Having to actually develop the code behind the button, you know, provided me an immense, uh, uh, an immense amount of experience and just uh, an appreciation for how difficult this game is. Um, this is a very, very hard game that we're playing. Um, I think Alistair Coburn one of the gentlemen that wrote the Azure Manifesto has a presentation on software development in the 21st century. And Coburn says, this is a game that involves limited resources, um, an unforgiving language, finite timelines, and people. And basically, Coburn asked the question, who in their right mind would want to do this? Mm -hmm. um, which after cutting code, you know, I certainly uh, had that, uh, that opinion as well. Once mm -hmm. I moved on from cutting code, um, I knew that my future wasn't as a coder. Uh, I enjoyed doing it. I liked that physical hands-on, being able to look concretely at what I did that day and say, look, I wrote that code. Um, I, I moved into more of a traditional project management role. And uh, the, the, the little voice in my head, Simon, at that time was always, there has to be a better way to do this. Um, so you were managing IT, IT development projects? Exactly. exactly. And, and I just, you know, it was a little voice that kept getting louder and louder and louder. There has to be a better way to do this. Mm. You know, that was in 2000-something, right? Beginning of the 2000s. Yeah, yeah early 2000s. And, uh, you know, we were, we were experiencing all the classic 
um, challenges with waterfall type development. Hmm. Long requirements, timelines, changing requirements, misunderstood requirements, a classic separation between the business and IT or Mm -hmm. us and them. Um, And I just, I kept thinking, you know, this has to change. Uh, There has to be a better way. And at the time, uh, I had uh, moved in, you know, I had done some traditional project management stuff and had moved into a more formal leadership role. And I was part of an organization that was going to get fired. I mean, okay. candidly, we were just we were going to get fired. We were part of a large organization, but we weren't delivering any value to the business. So I, I was lucky. I had a boss who provided me a lot of air cover. You know, he said, uh, you know, his name was Mike as well. And, and Mike would say to me, you know, we know how this ends if we don't do something different. Hmm. And and so I said, well, I've heard about this thing called Scrum that was relatively new. Um, and I said, well, let's try that. Now, looking back, and, and I think your listeners will appreciate this. When I started out, if if I today in 2022 looked at what Mike back in you know 2008 was doing, I'd be like, hey, I wasn't Scrum at all. <laughs> okay, it wasn't. It was not Scrum at all. Um, uh, you know, I made a ton of mistakes. I, I you know, was way, still way too command and control at that time. Now, just a quick interruption yeah, here, please. right? Those who, because we're audio only, but yeah. though, those who can't see it, right? Mike just put his hand on his heart when he said that. <laughs> so he really means it when he yeah. says that. <laughs> mea culpa, mea culpa, maximum mea culpa. <laughs> uh, so, so... Yeah, I was way too command and control. I didn't understand. I understood academically, Simon, how you could get to an increment each sprint, but I didn't understand mm-hmm. how to do it in reality. Um, what we were doing at the time was water guiling, scrum a fall, if you will. You know, okay. Mini, mini waterfall type, no. uh, type iterations. Uh, but it was a lab. Right, we we were essentially playing with house money in that we knew if we didn't change that eventually the corporation that we work for was going to say, "Look, we don't need this function anymore no. because you're not you're not adding any value." You know, this reminds me of the goal, yeah, from gold drug. <laughs> yeah, there there are some parallels though. I don't think our scope was as big as as gold rats, but it, 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 there there's. When you have nothing to lose, there's actually a tremendous amount of freedom there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we had, you know, I don't want to paint it as a as a perfect picture, but we had enough people in our area that were recognizing that things were irrevocably broken. Okay, so for example, we had a guy, we had an application that needed to be available. 24 7 365 in order to maintain uh, regulatory compliance for the company mm-hmm. we were working for and the application broke uh, it, well first of all it was i think it was written in a, an early early version of visual basic um, oh okay so so i mean we're talking really old right and the application broke and i said well who who maintains it and they're like, well, I'll change the name here. Bob maintains it. And I said, well, Bob's on vacation. So Bob's not going to be back for a week. 
who's gonna <laughs> who's gonna get this to run? And somebody goes, "Why? Well, Bob's the only one that knows anything about it." Oops. I'm like, "Okay, we have an issue, right?" Well, eventually, we we found a way to get back up. Well, when Bob got back, I said, "Bob, where's the source for this application?" And he pulls out a couple of old three by five discs and he goes, "I <laughs> no way." So, so not only did we have delivery issues, Simon, but as as I'm sure you, you and your listeners can appreciate, we had major knowledge dispersal issues. We had major mm. technical excellence issues. Um, so, but there's tremendous freedom, right? Because those are the types of things we're up against. We had enough people in the area that were going, "This is just nuts. We can't, we can't live like this. No. We have to do something different." So we decided to play with, with Scrum. And like I said, it wasn't, it, once again, 2022, Mike would, would, you know, respectfully and courageously coach, um, <laughs> 2008 and 2009, Mike, 2010, Mike on, Hey, that isn't really Scrum. No, um, just for, for the audience yeah. here real quick. So you became certified and then you realized, Hey, we could actually use what I just learned or did you yeah. have that hunch before? Like how did yeah, that? We had come? the, we had the hunch before. Um, we were talking about, you know, iterating more frequently. We were talking about pace of change issues. Um, you know, I didn't get certified till 2008, but I would say that we were playing with it before then. I don't know Sorry. if we would have called it Scrum at that point. Um, so you good. also didn't have the title of a Scrum master like this Correct. official? Correct. Okay. I didn't have the title. And that that's important to note as I work with, young scrum masters worry less about the titles more mm. worry more about you know are you fulfilling the responsibilities of the scrum master and, yeah. and most importantly understand your why i mean crucial to my story was i knew our why our why was survival right and and i want to be clear it's not as if the organization we were working for was going to go out of business but our department was going to go out of business they were just going to say look we can have someone else uh, attempt to do uh what uh you are doing gives you a great sense of urgency right yeah and and but it's also at the same time free right because you can try things and know we're no worse off than we were no no worse off than we were so and then yeah, oh, how, how did you turn it around i'm waiting for that point <laughs> yeah well I'm, i'm trying to give the journey it's due because it was not overnight mm -hmm. um we worked We were developed. Well, first of all, we had we had this compelling, uh, you know, survival uh, motivation, right? We also were in the process of uh, undertaking a major rewrite of a major platform of applications. So we had something that we could really sink our teeth into right away. Uh, we went through fifty-two two-week iterations, and, and I'm. I'm leaving out a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth here. I mean, it was really hard. You know, I was yeah. acting as a scrum master, but I was the manager of some other people. So it was hard for me to be neutral. We, uh, the first sprint we ever did, uh, where we produced a potentially releasable product, all it was, it was a mobile application written on Windows Mobile. So I'm dating myself there a little bit. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, for uh, the listeners out there, you can look up Windows Mobile, what that was. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Like, what, what the hell is Windows Mobile? Um, 
I think it was on the market for how many years? Four or five years? Yeah, four or five years, and and really the uh, the iPhone kind of took it out. Um, and we yeah. eventually did some iPhone stuff too. But at, at this time, it, you know, Windows Mobile was kind of the the technology for enterprise applications in the mobile space. Uh, but I think I think the first application we ever developed, or the first increment we ever developed, was a all it was was a single page of this Windows Mobile app. All it had was a, a single input field, and it had a single button. And all it could do is if you put something in the field and click the button, it would send it to the database and either say success or failure. And, and people were like, so this is what we're going to demonstrate. And, and I, I distinctly remember uh, I had two developers come to my cube, and they go, this is all we have. And I said, well, this is like our third sprint. You know, that's, that's pretty good. And, and they're like, well, we're gonna we're gonna demonstrate this for our stakeholders. I I, I said, yeah, we're gonna demonstrate. It. <laughs> they kind of looked at me uh, with the with an expression on their face of, well, that's great, Studeman. They're gonna fire us, which is bad, but they're gonna fire you, <laughs> who, who brought us this whole idea first, uh, which will you know make it make it better. Uh, but we improved. Um, we worked a lot. How, let, let me ask you, how was the reaction from the stakeholders? Actually, that was one of the uh, big surprises. We thought that they'd be fairly, um, maybe not upset, but just kind of a, a consistent level of disappointment, mm. uh, if that makes sense. Uh, they were actually pleasantly surprised because, first of all, they had never seen a Windows mobile application at that point. They really didn't understand what it was going to look like. And two, they were used to not seeing anything from us for nine uh, to 12 months. Yeah. And, and then you release something and then it's breaking on top exactly, of that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let, let me ask you though. Yeah. Um, you said it was very tough. Now, uh, many of my listeners are not Scrum Masters yet. Some are mm -hmm. experienced Scrum Masters, but mm -hmm. um, what kept you going, right? What, what kept you doing this type of job? Yeah, a, a couple of things. One, you know, I understood that we didn't have another option. Mm. Right? I understood my why. Why was I doing this? Two, I had a nagging, the nagging voice in my head saying the old way just wasn't working. So I knew I had to do something different. Three, I just liked how it treated everyone as human. Mm. Um, I didn't have to be in a, in a managerial role. I didn't have to be the one that knew it all. I could leverage the wisdom of the team. No, uh, nice. Uh, I like the egalitarian nature of it. Um, I, I, I like the fact that we were rapidly producing at least something that we could look at, even if it even if we weren't going to release it. Just no. being able to show that screen, for example, we were able to get uh, you know feedback. So the the other thing that that kept me going throughout that and it was a it was a slog I, I like to tell people I didn't get many Christmas cards that year um, <laughs> is uh, eventually you started to see little wins you know where a team member uh, initially in a daily scrum it was pretty much all individual status updates but eventually one team member says oh I know how to fix that I can help you with that and there's a little spark of oh they're starting to work as a team nice or Uh, one big win we had, and I think I'll probably remember this for the rest of my career, is when we started, it would take us like three or four days to do a build. 
And the developers came to me and said, Mike, we know we should be building more frequently, but we just can't. And, and I said, well, let's kind of work through the issues systematically. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, right now it takes us four days to build. Is there a way that you can make it three? And uh, of course, a number of the developers said, no, there's no way to do it. Well, a couple of them were like, you know, we could probably do this. We could automate this. We could script it and we get it to three. So they got it to three. And then I said, well, you, you, you know, in our retrospective, we talked about it. And one of the other developers was like, you know, I bet you if we did this and this, we could get it to two. And little by little, eventually we got it to be continuous build. Nice. Um, which was, and once again, I'm fast forwarding through, you know, multiple headaches and I don't think we can get it, you know, to this point, but, but those, those little wins like that are the other thing that, that kept me, um, uh, you know, focused. The other thing is I'm just naturally curious, right? We're playing with something new. I had read all these great things about scrum, you know, I, I kind of adopted the mentality of why not us? Why not now? Right. Why can't we get some of those benefits, uh, for our area? No. So you said before the Mike from 2022 would disagree on certain practices. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, obviously, it's it's important to have that confidence to just, you know, get going, get started, even though you don't know everything. And I guess the Mike of 2032 would disagree with some of what you say today. Um, what did you learn in between? Mm -hmm. And like, what, what are you? And I'll say that that's a short lead over to your company agile in real life because sure. that intrigues me you say it's not about doing agile it's about being agile and i would know uh, like yeah to so so you know a couple of thoughts there simon one while i was going through this process of of moving to a more scrum like um uh, approach i had started doing some presentations at various conferences And, uh, people, a couple of people came up to me at one conference and said, well, you have, you ever thought of being a trainer? And I said, uh, I have a job. Thank you. You know, I appreciate the feedback. <laughs> um, and, and they're like, well, you should really just, just come over and do like a mock train for us. So, so I, I started doing it and I found that I really enjoyed it. And, and what, to bring it back to your, to your other question, What training does is it focus, it, it helps you figure out what you truly know and what you truly don't know. Mm. Until you have to explain a concept to another person, you're, and let them react to it and let them respond to it, ask them, ask you questions about it. Um, your knowledge is only so deep. Uh, so I started doing this training and, um, I was deepening my knowledge. And, and what would happen was, People like yourself would attend a class and you'd ask a question and I'd answer it okay, but I'd come back and I'd go, I need a better answer for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd start, you know, reading Ken Schwaber's books. I started reading Mike Cohen's books. I started, you know, watching Alistair Coburn, reading some of Ron Jeffrey's stuff, you know, some of the luminaries in the agile space. Uh, and, and while doing this, uh, I got to a point and my wife always hates me telling the story. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully she'll tell me, please. Yeah. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this episode of your podcast. She is from uh, Master? She's not. She actually, uh, she's a, a school teacher. All right. Which we've, we've talked to her, uh, preschool teacher. So I've talked to her a little bit about Agile in the classrooms, but that's a different topic. Mm. Um, so it got to the point where at this point in my career, I was working for a small software company and I was training 
And, and my wife finally said to me, she goes, you need to figure out whether you want to marry your mistress. And I'm like, excuse me? And she goes, <laughs> he goes you've kind of been dabbling in this training and coaching thing. You've been doing your day job. She goes, I don't want you, you know, 60 years from now saying, you know, I wonder if I could have made a business out of being a trainer and a coach. No. So, you know, that kind of launched me uh, into the into the training space. Um, you know, back to your question, though, about uh, what what is 2032 Mike going to say to 2022 Mike? You, you constantly have to be reading. You constantly have to be staying up to be a good scrum master. When I interview scrum masters, you know, either on behalf of our company or on behalf of the client's company, uh, first question I'm going to ask them is to teach me scrum. And, and what I'm looking for there is not... I'm not looking for religious adherence to the framework. Instead, I'm looking for, do they have a general understanding of what Scrum is and, and equally mm-hmm. more importantly, what it's not. But, but then my second, uh, second uh, set of questions is, what have you learned you know, in the last 30 days and how are you applying it? And what I'm looking for is, how, how do they continue to practice their craft? Are they readers? Do they listen to podcasts? No. Do they blog? Do they um, you know, attend webinars, conferences? And, and so when I look at, you know, 10 years from now for me, uh, I'm not going to say how old I'm going to be at that point, but <laughs> I still hope that I'm, I'm, you know, reading. I hope that I'm, you know, participating in events like this, going to conferences, because there's just, uh, there's just so much to learn in terms of, of teams and organizational psychology and product development and, and, technical, uh, you know, processes that uh, there's really just a, a, there's no limit to what a scrum master has to know in in order to be successful. Now, to that, I would like to add that my journey so far as a scrum master, I think the biggest impact that I can bring to a team is really more from the soft skill side, not so much, you know, the ceremonies and all of that. Um, Definitely not the technical side because I don't have a technical background but understanding emotions, helping people go through Absolutely. difficult times. Um, I just had one guy um, who, I can't really talk about the details, but he felt really bad about what happened at work. Um, there was a mistake, an honest mistake. And um, I, I coached him through it and he was able to go from, uh, I'll say, uh, being mad at himself the whole day, kind of having these thoughts pop up the whole time. Like, ah, why did you do that? You're so stupid. Um, to go through, okay, it happened, it's normal, right? The, the emotional intensity is down again. Um, and I haven't come across an agile training or a scrum master training that focuses on that, even real coaching skills. Yeah, I, I think, so first of all, I, I think that there's a, there's a, maybe not a huge misconception, but there's certainly a large misconception that in order to be a good scrum master, you have to have technical knowledge. Mm. In, in fact, uh, you know, some controversy here. I think that you can be, you can in some cases be a better scrum master if you don't have technical knowledge in what the team's doing, mm. because then you're not, you're not biased by previous experience. So, uh, you know, the example that I oftentimes use is I could be facilitating a conversation, Simon, between you and another developer, and you're arguing about a particular technical approach. And I can say, look, I am truly neutral here because I don't understand the technical approaches that you're debating. No. But I can say that you're not talking to each other, you're talking through each other. 
yeah, or that's over a, Yeah, that's a very good observation. And that's really where you add the value, right? Because exactly. they don't need another opinion. Exactly. And, and, and uh, so I think that there's tremendous benefit uh, to, to Scrum Masters that aren't deeply embedded within the technology. Now, are there situations where it can help you? Certainly. Certainly. I mean, there are, there are situations where, uh, you know, even today, even though my days of writing code are long gone, you know, I can, I can at least ask a question that might open up another thread of the discussion, because even though I don't know the exact syntax of the language, I've been around, you know, what it's like to program. So, um, uh, you know, I think that there's benefit that, uh, people with those quote unquote soft skills, um, and the reason I put quote unquote there is because I think soft skills get a short shift. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you're a great technologist, but you're leaving a pile of dead bodies in your wake, that's an issue in, in today's workplace. Yep. Um, so I think soft skills are probably a little bit of a, uh, a misnomer, or at least if you're going to name them that way, get an unfair shake uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, comparisons to hard skills. No, absolutely. Um, were you about to add something? Yeah, here? I was just going to say, you know, back to uh, back to what you asked about agility RL. Then, so yeah, we're on a you know we're on a mission to end human suffering through training and coaching <laughs> that's reality based, and and you know one of the things that we really pride ourselves on, even though myself, and my business partner Jeff Lee, we're both uh, I'm a certified Scrum trainer. He's a professional Scrum trainer. Uh, so we're obviously passionate about Scrum is we're very much pragmatists. Mm. We have to remember that the tools, whether they're Scrum, whether they're Kanban, whether they're XP, they don't exist for themselves. They exist to provide some better business output. So a, a lot of, uh, you know, immature Scrum masters will, uh, there's a tendency for them to get very, very militant about Scrum and say, Okay, we have to do sprint planning in this way, and it has to be this time box. And estimate exactly our uh, our daily scrum has to go fifteen minutes. I'm going to go sixteen. You know, we're gonna I'm going to lose my certification type of <laughs> type of behavior. And, no. and, and we have to we have to remember that while rituals and structure are important, they're not the aim of what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do is we're trying to deliver product that delights people. And, and, uh, you know, I, as I've told many of our clients, if, if I believe that you would benefit more from a Kanban based approach, uh, a XP based approach, or even a waterfall based approach, I, I think it's, it would be professional, um, uh, you know, malfeasance of some sorts to say, no, you must do scrum. And, you know, I don't believe that we should be using that as a, has a weapon or as an objective because that's it's not an objective the objective is no. the delivery of valuable product that, that delights people coming back to the aspect of career and career management sure do you think being that open-minded and not only focusing on scrum but also looking at xp kanban mm -hmm. and other stuff mm -hmm. um, how did that shape or influence your career yeah very good uh, very very good question I will fully admit, and this is the part where you edit out of the podcast, Simon. You know what's going on here. I will <laughs> Don't tell me about that. Waterfall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will fully admit that when I first got certified, I too, I don't think I was ever a zealot. I don't ever think I was a militant 
scrum practitioner, but I was probably more focused on the, um, on the rituals than I probably should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I've gone on, I've realized that frameworks are there to provide you a spot to start or a structure to kind of build off of, but fundamentally it's going to come down um, to the people in that particular situation. And the more tools that you have in your toolbox to help that specific um, team, that specific person, um, that's what's more important than being able to say, well, we're doing Scrum, we're doing Kanban, we're, we're doing XP. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, I had an organization that I was working with, and they had had a very, um, very bad experience with Scrum in the past. So I intentionally was not going to introduce them to Scrum. Um, but we started doing what we called daily check-ins. And one of the guys, one of the engineers on the team was like, we're doing a daily Scrum. I thought, <laughs> no, it's a daily check-in. And, and then I said, well, let's visualize the work. And he's like, well, now we're doing Kanban. I'm like, no, <laughs> more to, there's much more to all these things than that. And I said, I don't want you to get, he, he was almost having like an immune system response. You know, like no. before an object, the body was attacking, right? <laughs> um, so he, uh, you know, I, I finally said to him, instead of worrying about whether we're going to call something Kanban or call something Scrum, let's focus on, in what benefit we're trying to get from this. Now, if you went and looked mm-hmm. at that team today, you would say, well, they're, they're doing scrum with some, uh, well, maybe, uh, you would might describe it as scrum bomb, right? No. You know, uh, strict work and process limits. Could they, could they probably drop the whole sprint construct? They probably could, but they mm-hmm. like having that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my point, it's long winded is, it's still about just delivering value. It's less about being able to say, we're doing Scrum, we're doing Kanban, we're doing XP. Um, so. Yeah. So yeah, what I'm yeah. hearing is it, it's, it's helpful really to be versed in different uh, methods. One, one, very helpful to be versed in, in different methods. You know, one thing that I started doing as we ran into issues, not only on that original team, but also as I began kind of my training journey is in doing that reading, I started to be able to see where these frameworks, you know, touch on each other Mm. and how they use maybe different language to describe the same concept. Uh, You know, so for example, (laughs) having a sprint limits your work in progress. The scrum guy doesn't talk about limiting work in progress, but that's the purpose of the sprint. Kanban says you need to have a work in process limit. Now, you know what I'm thinking? I think the guys took the ideas, so so the, the original Scrum creators, they yeah. took the ideas from Kanban and added a little bit of waterfall and structure around it, um, made it actually less lean, but made it more sellable and more, you know, um, applicable because Kanban was so related to manufacturing. Absolutely. And obviously, if you talk to Kanban, uh, to, to IT developers, um, they're like, Kanban, no, no, no. We're not creating <laughs> products, uh, t- tangible products, creating software. That doesn't work. We can't, you know, yeah. Well, it's, uh, so first of all, I think your observation is right on. I, I think another, uh, you know, interesting phenomenon here for people that are on the Scrum Master path is that you have to recognize that these ideas are not new. You know, if you mm-hmm. go talk to limiting work in progress, uh, if you go talk about work whip limits, 
if you talk about uh, Kanban boards in a manufacturing sense, they're going to be like, we did this in the 80s. Why is this <laughs> new folks in IT? No. And, and, and so it's, it's not that uh, this is completely new. Uh, and because of that, there are multiple case studies that you can go and, and kind of often it's fine in your own organization. Now, you, you got to set aside the language, right? They might not call it the exact same thing that, no. you know, the scrum guide calls it or, uh, you know, David Anderson and, and Kanban calls it. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not the same thing. Right? You have to no. be able to have to be able to look at that. So that's the other tip is look for look for case studies of the techniques within the old, your, the four walls of your organization because they're probably there. You might just not see them. All right. That leads me to a question that I had before, but I think sure. you just answered that one. <laughs> and on the website, you call yourself Agile Agnostic. Why? Yeah, we did that intentionally and because, candidly, we're tired of the framework wars. Um, you know, while, while you and I can sit on a podcast and argue about Kanban versus Scrum versus XP, there's someone out there that's having a problem. And it might be that they're overwhelmed by the work in progress. It might be that their quality is poor. It might be that they're not being responsive to change. I'd much rather go out and try to solve that problem than argue about whether, um, we should use Scrum or whether we should use Kanban here. Um, no. so. Uh, that's why, you know, we uh, declare ourselves Agile Agnostics. It's less about the framework. It's more about, you know, helping people live, uh, you know, and uh, better, uh, live better work lives, if you will, and, and, and deliver something of value. Yeah, well, that sounds very nice. Um, if we look into the future, how do you see the role of a Scrum Master? Will it even exist in 10 years? Because it didn't exist a few decades ago. Yeah, I think a very good question. I think I, I see two things going on with the Scrum Master uh, role moving forward. I, I think that you will still have the role in 10 years. I think that there are a number of organizations that are just starting to realize what this move to a more agile way of working entails uh, and realizing the amount of organizational heavy lifting that's involved. I also think, though, that you're going to see, so that's kind of one thread. I think the other thread that you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of, uh, I hesitate to use the word because I think it, it has a negative connotation in some senses and in some contexts, but I think you're going to see a lot of managers that are really going to be the uh, servant leaders and understanding how to lead self-managing teams. So when I say manager there, Simon, I don't mean command and control management as much no. as, you know, helping. Responsible uh, for team conflict. Exactly. Uh, responsible for team growth, responsible for um, coaching people. Yeah. Do you mean and like I, a, yeah. a semi-conversion between scrum masters and traditional managers so that they blend at one point and so become more a, yeah. you know, a servant leader in general? Exactly. And let me share a story that we had um, from one of our clients. This is a number of years ago, but I, I think it's interesting. I was doing some coaching in this organization and a couple of the leaders, the formal leaders in the organization said, hey, Mike, we'd like you to attend our talent review. And, and I said, I'm uncomfortable with that, but tell me why. 
And they said, well, first of all, why are you uncomfortable? I said, well, if I'm providing performance feedback on people, I can't really coach them. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they said, no, well, we appreciate that, but we'd still like you to attend. And I said, why? And they said, because we view our scrum masters who you're working most closely with as the next generation of leadership for our company. And I said, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And they said, well, think about it. They know how to lead knowledge workers. And they've been working closely with knowledge workers. They know how to facilitate conversations when they're not subject matter experts. They understand power dynamics. They understand organizational change. So we really view them as the next, uh, the next group of leaders, um, which I thought was, I thought was interesting and has certainly influenced, you know, my answer to your question around. I, I think that there's that, that second track of you're going to have, and maybe it's, maybe, maybe manager isn't even the right, the right role or title. It's, it's, you know, team leader, but it's not, it's not in the sense of directing the work or, or assigning the work, it's much more no. leadership, helping design the environment, uh, you know, those types of things. No, I like the term team coach or high performance yes. team coach, even though the high performance, I don't like it that much. It, it, it puts kind of pressure and uh, on, on the team. And it feels like you need that person because you're not performing well enough. So this Correct. guy is going to whip you in shape. Um, but yeah, team coach, really general, just helping you to become the best version of you as yourself, but also as a team. Yeah, I like it. I, and, and I, you know, I share your concerns with high performance, but, you know, team coach, um, you know, just coach mm-hmm. something and, and, you know, maybe uh, over a, uh, over a beer sometime we can settle on what we want to call that. <laughs> but, but I, I do think that there's a, getting back to your question, I do think that there's a, a, a path, where some scrum masters today end up being in that in that role where it's less about the mechanics of whatever framework the team's using it's more about you know building a true team no no good point so let me challenge you here then yeah um if it's really more about building a team why should people beginner scrum masters still join your classes that you sure sure yeah no (laughs) uh I, I think you have to have the fundamentals right. And I encourage everybody who attends our class or, or any other um, Scrum certification class, what you've done is you've gotten the basic building blocks around Scrum. Now go get the basic building blocks around Kanban. Now go mm-hmm. get the basic building blocks around uh, XP because that's just going to put additional um, uh, additional uh, tools in the toolbox. Uh, the analogy that I oftentimes use with new scrum masters is in a scrum class, we've in a certified scrum master class to use the, the basic introductory one from scrum Alliance. What we've given you is we've given you a learner's permit. And now you got to go drive mm. the car a little bit. No. And we've shown you how to drive one car. I want you to go learn how to drive other cars. Um, Cause then you can figure out the best car for the journey that you're going to be on uh, within no. your organization. That's so, a very nice analogy. Yeah. That's my that's my plug for our classes. I, uh, as you might uh, might notice, my uh, my degrees aren't in marketing, uh, but that's <laughs> I, it worked pretty well. I mean, I had that picture in front of me. I maybe I started with a Toyota, um, but then maybe I want to drive the Ferrari going to Las Vegas. But then going into the desert, I want to have the SUV or the four x four. 
Absolutely. And that's really the point that Scrum Masters very often just use their, I don't know, let's call it a Prius. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, and, and they recognize, that, you know, and maybe I'm sending the car analogy too far, but, uh, you know, my wife and I have some teenage kids and, and uh, I'm more than comfortable having them drive one of our cars. But if, if a Ferrari showed up and the, the 17 year old said, could I drive that? That requires a lot more discipline. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> And, or and it's so exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that he has additional training before he does that because that's an incredibly yeah. powerful tool that if he's untrained on, he's gonna either cause harm to himself or harm to those around him. Um, yeah. So that's that's why I think you, you gotta attend. You know, get the basics in place, get those fundamental building blocks, uh, and then you can experiment from there. All right. So you'd still recommend people um, to pursue that career as a scrum master. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Then, and I, I do think that there'll always, as I said, I do think there'll always be a role for someone to coach. And it's uh, when I say coaching, I hope I hope your listeners understand. I think both you and I are not saying an agile coach per se, but somebody that's you know, you know there to 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 help help people be the best version of, of themselves that they can be. Kind of a Tony Robbins style coach. Yeah, uh, you know Tony Robbins or. Uh, you know any great um, leader who can who can figure out you know and we're getting deeply philosophical here which I hope is okay but I, I think please, any please. great leader is somebody who can take you know their experience and their knowledge and find the tool amongst that experience and knowledge that will help that person grow in some way hmm. um, and 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 fundamentally that's what a scrum master does right? which is one of the reasons why I'm you know I'm passionate about Scrum as a framework and, and Agile as a philosophy is because that's fundamentally what it's about. It's about people, you, you know, uh, going to work, building good product, being able to bring their skills to bear on that product and, and having a good time doing so. You know, we spend more time at work signing than we do with our, our friends and family. We no, probably should make sure that it's a, it's a valuable pursuit. Exactly. It reminds me of that book, uh, Prime to Perform. Um, mm, yeah, very good. Yeah, where, where they talk really about being playful at work, having fun. That's really also the driver of performance. Um, and when companies, or not companies, but some more command and control and waterfall-driven managers just say, increase the intensity of execution <laughs> <laughs> or deliver, deliver, deliver. Yeah, thank you for the... <laughs> What was that motivation or demotivation? Yeah, um, and, and I, uh, you know, and maybe people will call me naive, uh, but I'm very much of the opinion uh, most people in the world want to do a good job. No, there's a there's certainly a segment that don't, but but those are few and far between. Most people want to do a good job. They're not trying to be difficult. They're trying and no. because they're trying to do a good job. They're not trying to make your day harder. Um, I think. To get back to the Scrum Masters, I think the Scrum Masters are the ones that know how to tap into that and bring that all together and build a true team. Uh, no, I think any organization in the 21st century is going to benefit if you if you have true teams. In fact, no. if you think about it, that's the last competitive advantage that most organizations have is their people. Uh, no. So huge opportunities for Scrum Masters moving forward. No. So um, let's turn to the people who listen who are already Scrum Masters. They have sure. their certification. What would you recommend as a next step? More into Kanban XP or more in coaching or something else? Yeah, I, I think um, the short answer is yes. <laughs> um, I think you have to do both. I think that 
you certainly need to continue to build your knowledge of the agile space. Right? So look at, you know, understanding Kanban, look at understanding XP. Now I want to be clear that you don't have to do that via a class. Right? And I'll, you know, full disclosure for your listeners. Yes, I make money off of certifying people. There are people that are certified that are outstanding scrum masters. There are people that are certified that I would be concerned with them actually fulfilling the scrum master uh, no. role. Right? So certification, what that does is it shows that you've been exposed to that content in a, in a classroom setting and that you've been evaluated on your ability to answer some questions about it. So I, I think you have to continue to build up that agile knowledge, whether you do that via classes, whether you do that via certifications, it really comes down to your learning style. At the same time, you, you have to also be building out your, um, and we'll go back to that soft skills um, uh, terminology here around facilitation, around coaching, um, around mentoring, um, looking at you know some basic um, leadership type uh, work, looking at psychology, um, right. team theory. Uh, group dynamics, those types of things. And the thing I always emphasize is, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to, to scrum masters that are, um, you know, maybe through a couple of certifications, I'll say, look, go take a workshop facilitation class. And they're like, well, I'm, I know how to facilitate. I go, yes, but the great ones are always trying to figure out a way to get a little bit better. And if you pick up two, three techniques in that facilitation class, you're going to be that much better at, uh, facilitating, you know, even bigger sessions or sessions with uh, different attendees. So you got to kind of build there. And, and and then third, I think for existing Scrum Masters is just getting yourselves exposed to different teams. You know, whether it's, whether you're in a position career-wise to move kind of as a consultant between different companies, or if you can, even within your company, you know, go to somebody in leadership and say, hey, what team is struggling the most right now? Can yeah. I Can I observe that team? Even if you don't, you know, actively get involved, just being able to observe what's going on will give you uh, give you insight in how it could potentially be corrected. Um, the other piece of advice, and I will admit that I'm not as good as I once was at doing this, but I recommend Scrum Masters journal their experiences um, as they go. Uh, no. And I don't, when I say journal, I don't mean you know, dear diary. Today is October third, and you know, I had a meeting with Simon. It was, it's more, you know, journal the behavior that you're seeing within the team. Journal what you see as, as your recommended um, steps. And, and then come back to those entries in a, in a few uh, weeks, a month, a couple months, a quarter, and say, okay, how did the story play out? Because that's going to give you kind of your own experience report that you can then use to say, oh, I, and, and this is arguably, uh, you know, one of the most important things to remember as an agilist, it's going to give you the opportunity to look back and say, you know, that was the wrong move. I should have no. never advocated that. I shouldn't have used that technique. Um, but that's that's part of the learning process. Um, I know when I think back and look back on some of the stuff I did, I'm like, yeah, that was just it wasn't <laughs> the right move. It wasn't the, the right. right way to uh, right way to approach that. Yeah, I, li I like the point of moving to different teams because I experienced as well at the beginning. I had some initial success and I was so confident, most likely overconfident, right? Uh, what's his name? Dunning-Kruger effect, Dunning right? Yeah, I was just going to say Dunning-Kruger, <laughs> yeah. And 
I then obviously applied more of the same to the to the new teams that I got. And with some teams, it just didn't work out at all. And I thought, what is wrong? I mean, luckily, it got me thinking. Um, and <laughs> luckily as well, it got me taken out of one team even at one point. And um, yeah, ever since, I, I base my approach really more on the team, their problems. Um, so I, I like that you shared that as well. I have... Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say you the, other, the other thing that's always important when you go to a new team, and, and we, we have to fight, I think, as scrum masters and, and more broadly as change agents, we have to fight the action imperative, the, the idea that we have yeah. to do something right away. Bring change, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, in fact, it's very hard for me, even as a coach now, you know, obviously cl clients pay us, we like that, and they're paying us. And they'll be saying, okay, well, what are you going to change? And I'll be like, I just haven't observed the team long enough. I've been here two days. No. Well, should we do this or should we move on? Should, should they do this, right? right? Should they improve their estimation? Right, oh. right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's it's too soon for me to recommend a course of treatment when I've barely seen the patient. No. You know, so, no, I think it's important as a, as a scrum master to just, well, and the other, the other point about your... Um, your comment there, Simon, that struck me is recognize that not every team is going to respond to your voice. And that doesn't make you a bad coach. It doesn't make you a bad scrum master. It's just they need a different voice. Um, I, I know a lot as a coach, I'll come in and, and, and I'll be working with the team and the scrum master will go, well, I've been telling them that using those exact same words and they don't. <laughs> I know that. Why don't, why, yeah. don't, why don't they do this? And I'm like, look, it, it probably has nothing to do with you. It's the fact no. that I'm an outsider. It's the fact that I explained it a different way or I used a different analogy. And that just means that, that yeah. in that moment, my voice uh, was more easily received than yours. doesn't mean anything no. about the quality of your uh, your work as a scrum master. No. The big thing is perception management, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. How do people see you? Now, we come more or less to the end, but I would love to go on. I was actually, I'm a bit sick at the moment. I thought, ah, oh, today I'll make it really short. I cut off at <laughs> nine o'clock, which was 10 minutes ago. Sure, sure. But I really, I really like the conversation here. Um, I would like to go back roughly 30 minutes mm -hmm. to the point where you said um, you spoke at conferences. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is... I think it's a great career advancement if you speak and write more. How do you see Completely that? Completely agree. Completely agree. You do not, as I said earlier, you do not truly know something until you can explain it to another person. And whether you're going to explain it verbally in a conference type setting, whether you're going to explain it in a blog, mm. do both. Find what you are more passionate about or what's easier for you. Um, and, and and then do it and recognize that the first few times you do it, it's going to seem awkward. There's going to be nerves. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I speak in front of every, uh, I speak in people in front of people every week, right? As an oh, instructor. Wow. And I still, uh, okay. <laughs> right, as an instructor and, and still when I'm gearing up for a conference presentation, there's still nerves. Mm. I think, oh, they, you know, I have nothing new to say here. Um, how am I going to explain this? Uh, but I always come out of the experience with uh, new nuggets of of insight that I, I didn't realize I had. And, and I get feedback from people that improve, allow me to improve my craft, which, as we talked yeah. earlier, is, is ultimately the key. And very often you learn a lot more 
than the people in the audience, Absolutely. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and there's been times, and I hope it hasn't been um, completely apparent to my audience where I've been presenting and all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and goes, you know, I didn't explain that very well, but now that I've explained it out loud in front of this group of people, the next time I do this, I'm have a much better explanation. And it, yeah. It, actually, it's funny, Simon, my, my business partner and I talk about this all the time where that's not failure, that's learning, right? You, you, no. just, you didn't, it, until you were put into that experience, into that situation or that circumstance, there's no other way that you could have generated that for yourself. Um, no, so yeah, I highly it. encourage people, that, you know, start local. Most people are looking for people to, to speak at, you know, local lunch and learns, dinners. Meetups, um, that kind of stuff. You know, that type of stuff. And, and don't worry about who shows up. Use it as a learning experience for yourself. And I, I you know, that'll not no. only allow you to build confidence, but uh, like we've said, allow you to learn more about the topic. No, nice. Have fun, learn, continue. Exactly. Exactly. No. You mentioned before a good way to hone your, your craft as a scrum master is to have different teams. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, would you in general recommend scrum masters to work more as freelancers so that you have it's that a, chance of moving more quickly? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I will fully admit I've wrestled with this. I think the short answer today I'm going to give you is yes, but I think you can do it as an employee, but it has to be a big company mm. and it has to be where there's some freedom for you to observe and work in those other areas. Just wanted to say bigger companies are normally more rigid. They are, right? they are. And that, but, but in some ways that gives you even uh, better stories and better, bigger challenges. No. Um, so, so one of the things that I did early on is I was, when I was first becoming scrum master, I was in one area of a large company and I knew that there were other areas within this company that were playing with agile. And so we would run into each other, these, these other agilists, we'd run into each other at various kind of internal company meetings and whatnot. We decided to just try, we, we were thinking about, you know, we really need kind of an internal touch point, not to like do the work of the other, but just to talk, trade ideas, trade no. common pain points. So we actually ended up forming a group called the Agile Ambassadors. And we called them AA because we yeah. put AA meetings on our calendars and nobody would look <laughs> over them, right? <laughs> and people would be like, where's Studeman at? Oh, he's at his AA meeting. Oh, yeah. Oh. So uh, what, what that did is it allowed us it, that insight into other teams, which as a scrum master is tremendously, tremendously valuable. What happened over time is we started getting some of those networking opportunities where you get an opportunity to see other teams and, and uh, in your own company and go, oh, well, this first of all, this dysfunction isn't unique to my team. No. Second of all, it, it doesn't appear to be unique uh, uh, to our area of this company it might not even be unique to our company because it seems like multiple teams have this. So back to your question, I, I think you can, like I said, my default answer, is it better to be a freelancer? Yes, but I think you can do it in a large enough company with some some conditions, you know, where we have, you know, some forward thinking leaders that are at least allow, allowing you to move around a little bit. Hmm. Nice, all right. Just due to time boxing and time constraints. <laughs> Always respect the time box. Yeah, 
unless it's important, right? And then you break the books. <laughs> That's something well, that I learned over time. Like if, if it's really important, you know, it's, it's about the outcome. It's not absolutely. about the time box. Well, I always tell our clients, you know, respect the time box. Just remember that you own the time box. The time box doesn't own you. Yeah. Um, and so certainly uh, really appreciate the conversation, Simon. This was, uh, this has been great. Hope your listeners uh, get some value out of it and appreciate you having us, uh, having us on and talking a little bit about what we do at our Agile RL. No, same here. Thank you very much. Very interesting. If people want to connect with you or want to check out your website, where can they find you? Yeah, great, uh, great question. We're at uh, agilityirl.com, uh, agility, all one word, and then capital I, capital R, capital L.com. Uh, all right, nice. Mike, thank you so much. Please stay on the show for um, a little longer so we can talk about um, the, the review part. And everyone else, if you want to have more people like Mike, if you want to have Mike back on the show, reach out, let me know, and then... We'll have him again here. Looking forward to it, Simon. Take care, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you got value out of this episode, please share it with other Scrum Masters. If you have feedback for me, or if you want to recommend a guest for my show, please let me know via www.scrummastercareers.com. My name is Simon, and this was the Scrum Master Careers podcast. See you in the next episode.